0: Quick statement before we start. We at the Misdirected Mark podcast believe that abortion care is health care and that health care is a human right. We support free access to abortions to any person who needs or wants one. Now, on with the show. This is
1: the Misdirected Mark
0: podcast, a podcast about gaming,
1: game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are, we are explicit, you have been warned, <laughs> and I'd, I'd like, like to like thank Mike, Mike Willard for letting Willard for us use his music on our show. Now let's, let's pick, pick up those mics and mics get
2: on with this thing. thing. Welcome to the 478th episode of the Misdirected Mark podcast. Tonight, gather your like shoulder pads and your bungee harness, because it's mad Misdirected Mark, beyond randomizer. Woo! Unfortunately, we'll not be fighting the death with cards and dice inside a metal dome in the post-apocalyptic 80s-inspired hellscape, while Tina Turner looks on with amazing
1: hair. Her hair is amazing in that
2: movie. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Could we could we do the 80s post-apocalyptic because because this hellscape, this hellscape is (laughs) way worse. Yes, that's actually This (laughs) is true.
2: But luckily, tonight we're going to be doing something just as awesome, but a little bit less nerdy. We're talking about the mechanics beyond dice rolls and card flips in your tabletop role playing games, how they impact your games and how you can use them to create better experiences at your table. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I'm Chris.
3: And I am old man Logan. Welcome back to the Mr. and Mark podcast, everybody. And let's go ahead and jump into our temperature check, see how everybody's feeling tonight. Jerry, how are you feeling? Oh,
2: I'm exhausted. I had a little sick last night. Um, so physically, I'm tired, but I'm kind of fired up on caffeine and Gatorade. So I'm feeling good right now. Um, emotionally, this has been one freaking <laughs> I'm fired up on caffeine and Gatorade. Ah!
0: Let's do it. Tantrum, tantrum, tantrum. Fire, 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 fire. fire. Tantrum.
2: I am Jerry Holio. Anyway, <laughs> um, so <laughs> as you can tell, it's one of those nights. Oh, man. <laughs> um, other than that, obviously, emotionally, this has been just a hellish week, but uh, we're getting through it. Good friends and everything will get you through anything.
0: So that's how I'm feeling. Phil? Physically, I'm fine. Mentally, I mean, obviously, the events of last week took a toll. I've been doom scrolling a lot, I've had trouble sleeping the uh, last couple nights. I've been like staying up way too late. Doom scrolling through TikTok and just like waiting till I pass out and then waking up and like you know turning off the lights and going to sleep—it's not good. My sleep hygiene's a bit garbage right now, so I'm hoping in the next couple of days to kind of get that cleaned up and under control. But the you know the Supreme Court shit hit me pretty hard, and I'm I'm a dude, right? So I can't even imagine you know what it's like for everybody else. It's been a thing, and um, I I, I like was on an arc, like I wasn't getting much better, but my mood was improving. Then I watched the J six hearings today, and fuck. Don't spiral, man. Don't no, I'm spiral. not going to spiral. It's okay. <laughs> but it just, it also just like completely left me anxious and doom scrolling pretty hard for more information. So ultimately, like, I think I'm mostly okay, but I, I like, I need I need to do some at, like actual work for some self-care and to actually, um, you know, kind of get my sleep back under something regular or whatever. It, it'll be fine. I mean, I got through an actual insurrection and a pandemic. So I'll, I'll probably bounce back from this too. Chris, how about you?
1: I mean, I'm sitting here, so that's pretty good. I'm okay. Aside from the fact that, The world's a trash fire for the most part. Like I take care of myself. I've been working out a lot lately. I've been. Is your back better? My back is better. I hurt my back a couple weeks ago. I was down for like eight days. Back back shit's the worst. This getting old stuff sucks.
3: Yeah. 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 Tell me about it. You learn to get
0: much more careful at it. Even to this day, I still get up the way the physical therapist showed me after Mm -hmm. I hurt myself. Like I. Swing both legs out of the bed and sit up right. <laughs> I don't mess around. No, it's, no. If I'm yeah. gonna hurt, if I'm gonna hurt my back now, nine times out of ten, it'll be doing something stupid when I first get up. So getting up is like a deliberate, slow process till gravity, like, kind of takes over, and I, you know, and I'm good. But. Mm-hmm. It's nice to sit here with you three and talk about games. Since we're not recording live, people will eventually see this um, if you're watching it on YouTube. And if you're not, if you just listen to the podcast since the pandemic, this is the first time we have actually all recorded in person. So this is the first time we are around the table. So that's going to mean two things. One, um, it's really cool for us. We're actually back in person. Not that we don't see each other. We actually see each other for gaming purposes. But. For podcast listeners, what you're going to get out of this is I think what you're going to hear is probably a smoother evening tonight mm-hmm. in terms of sound quality. We're not going to be uh, laggy and people talking over each other. Uh, we're actually face to face other than the monitors that are kind of blocking a couple of us, but enough that we can see each other to signal. So we should have a much smoother sound tonight.
1: And it'll just get better over time. Can okay. You can still see but Bob's head on the top of the monitor. The Bob's head is beautiful. Let's kick it to Bob for the temperature check. What's up with you, man?
3: Yeah. So to be brief, uh, since we're already going long on the temperature check, and we're going to go long on the show because trust me, my body is rebelling against me the last few days, and with all the other crap and the emotional stuff and this, I'm going to just put myself at a solid C right now. (laughs) It's okay, (laughs) but I'm doing a show, so let's do this. Bob, I got the fix for that. It's tantrum, tantrum. According to Jerry, anyway. (laughs) It's a Gatorade and caffeine caffeine, man. Caffeine man. (laughs) All right, I'll do it. Workshop! Workshop!
0: We're going beyond randomizers. Randomizers are here. We're going all the way over here. Beyond randomizers here in the workshop. Don't suck. Yes, don't, don't
1: suck. suck. All right, regardless of the game, players and GMs have a tendency to get hung up on randomizers. The D20, the dice pull, the card flip, you know, the randomizer. They are very important, but they're just one part of that whole game system. So tonight, we're going to talk about those other mechanics and procedures, which will, or mechanisms and procedures, my bad, That we'll call mechanics from now on because that is a term. We'll take a look at ways for us to understand them and then use that knowledge to help us play better games. Because understanding how different mechanics work helps us understand the game system we're playing and how to use those mechanics to create the experience the designers had in mind. Beyond that, understanding these mechanics help out when designing, modifying, and GMing our adventures and when we want to drift that game outside of that experience. To get to a place where we can utilize or drift a mechanic, we need to go through five steps. One, we need to identify the mechanic. Two, we need to understand the mechanics function in the game. Three, we need to determine which other mechanics of the game system they're going to interact with. Four, we uh, understand how they function within the game system to get the intended tone or idea of the game across. Five, ah, 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 ah. Think about how we can drift them when we want to alter the tone or idea of the game. This covers house rules, on-the-fly rulings, and designing custom stuff for your game. But before we get... To that, let's take a second to define a few things on this topic. Uh, let's kick it over to Definition Panda for that. Behold,
3: you are in the presence of Definition Panda.
0: We had to reach back to episode three twenty nine to get some of our definitions for tonight. These are terms that here on Mr. Doctor Mark we try to use with some precision. They're not industry standards. There are no industry standards. Listen, folks, we lead the industry (laughs) in definitions. No one puts out more definitions than we do. We might not be right, but we try. (laughs) I mean, we are right because we define them. (laughs) These aren't industry standards. So people may use these haphazardly or not consistently, uh, but we actually try really hard to be precise about these when we we talk about these on the show. So here are the terms we're going to work with tonight, a little refresher. The first one is mechanism. It's dictionary definition, a natural or established process by which something takes place or brought about in games. That is anything like a die roll, spending points, expending a use, those kinds of things. Mechanisms think small, right? Think little bits. Mechanic is a collection of mechanisms and rules which achieve a function in a game. So a combat turn is a mechanic that is made up of a bunch of little mechanisms, initiative, turn order, those kinds of things. Okay, and so we can have combat turn, character generation, chases, skill checks, et cetera. The next one is procedure. An established or official way of doing something is the definition from the dictionary. Procedures are a mechanism. Their function is to order other mechanisms in a mechanic. When we talk about something like a combat turn, there is a procedure in most games for how a combat turn takes place. So, you know, in 5e, there's a very specific one Uh, in gangbusters. If for those of you who uh, remember in the Wayback machine in gangbusters is a very, very detailed procedure in terms of the mechanisms and the order they go in and procedures shouldn't be overlooked. In fact, that's what that previous episode was all about, was about procedures. Procedures are a really powerful tool because they order those other mechanisms. And if you change the order. You can actually change the outcome and the effect that mechanism has. Can I provide a quick example? Yeah, absolutely. Jump in. If you have to spend a fate point before you roll, that changes the
1: entirety of the game. Yeah. Because you can spend fate points after you roll.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing in Cortex, right? Mm -hmm. If if you changed some of the things that you have to spend points on to build a pool, and we're allowing those to happen after the pool, that's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. Rules, then, are constraints, parameters for how mechanisms are used within a game. He's so nerdy. Mm-hmm. This is I like, I mean, this is like some seriously nerdy rule shit, but honestly, I get bugs me and it bugged us back when we wrote this episode, how haphazardly like all of those things get used. So okay. we are trying to be very specific about this. And then system is the collection of all mechanisms used in a game, right? D20 is a system. Mm-hmm. Cortex prime is a system. In addition to those terms, we're going to toss around two other terms that are slightly overlapping. Um, we're going to define them. These are not precise definitions, but they'll cover for tonight drift, a deviation from a true reproduction representation or reading an assumed trend towards a general change in structure of language over a period of time. When we say in relation to rules drifting, we're talking about like a little change, a slight change to facilitate gameplay. You might drift a rule. These
1: are most of your on the fly
0: calls. Yeah. Yeah. And the connotation that we mean with drift is just it's slight. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, you're trying to stay with what the like what the main rule is, but you're just moving it a little one way or the other. As opposed to our other term for tonight which is hack, a strategy or technique for managing one's time or activities more efficiently. We actually did a whole show many many years ago with Todd Crapper on hacking, mm-hmm. no definitions. Check this I checked check the show notes. <laughs> Zero definitions.
3: How did we get through a show without definitions? Ah,
0: uh, back in the old days, sometimes we let that go. Anytime <laughs> we had a guest in the no, olden times. And times. <laughs> anytime we had a guest we tend to break our uh, show model. Anyway, hack <clears throat> for tonight's show. We mean this to be some sort of modification or change to a rule, a mechanism, or procedure to make the game easier, more efficient, to enable a situation to be played out, or to conform to genre, or, um, and this (coughs) is the nebulous term, to be more fun. And we all know fun is a very subjective term. Doesn't really mean much, but you all know what it means. Anyway, hack, our connotation for hack tonight means that it is bigger than a drift. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Drift is little, hack is like more substantial. Okay, cool. Now that we're done with all of that, let's go back to the five-step procedure. Mm-hmm. Step one, I keep wanting to do that. From uh, is it disturbed? One.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> Let the bodies wrong. hit the floor. Two. right.
0: Anyway, uh, step I wish one. I need the lyrics to it. I would sing it. Right. Now. I know. Right. <laughs> I could scream the sounds, but I can't sing any of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let's get to step one of our five-step uh, rubric for tonight, which is identifying. All right.
2: Well, first, you
0: want to find the rule for the mechanic that you're
2: looking for. Hopefully. If the book is written properly, you should be able to find the rule for the the mechanic by check the table of contents or check the index. And then once you find that mechanic, read it. Read it thoroughly. For example, in D&D, there are hit points, hit dice, and exhaustion. Here's the description right from the player's handbook. Hit points represent a combination of physical and mental durability, the will to live, and luck. Creatures with more hit points are going to be more difficult to kill. Those with fewer hit points are more fragile. Now, paraphrasing hit dice, This is the measure of dice you've used to generate your hit points, but they're also a resource that can be used when taking a short rest to regain hit points. And lastly is exhaustion. And to paraphrase that, each level of exhaustion makes it harder for you to do things and makes you more vulnerable. Until you get six levels of exhaustion and you die. It's it's awful. It is. It's it's the harshest mechanic in the game.
0: I'm about three levels right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now in Cortex Plus, we have stress. Now stress represents the mental and physical negative effects on characters. When using this mod for Cortex, you can still have complications, but they represent external hindrances some obstacles, and sometimes other problems that are direct injury or personal conditions.
0: Number two in our in our rubric here is understanding function. So this is figuring out what tone and play style the mechanic is promoting. This is going to require a little analysis, a little thought. You're going to have to, you know, kind of get this into your head and do a little work here. Some rules are going to be really clear cut. You're going to like, you're going to look at this like rule mechanism or whatever. you will be like, yep, I know exactly what it's doing here. Other ones, not going to be completely apparent. But what you want to do is kind of read through it and then start asking questions like this. Does this mechanic mean the characters and adversaries can play recklessly or should they be more cautious? Which is also a way of saying, what is the intended play style? Mm-hmm. If we're talking about something that, you know, is making you play more cautious than the intended play style is to be more cautious. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. As a player, uh, what's the best way to overcome obstacles in this game? violence diplomacy conversation what is the preferred mechanism now, some, now sometimes that is completely not obvious mm-hmm. we have in the past said things like look at the rule counts like look I'd look at the page counts in a rule book i actually don't know that that's true i don't always think that's perfect like i don't think it's perfect sometimes and i like when games just um are explicit about this they will just tell you up front uh in our ox game we were very explicit that we took combat off the table mm-hmm. right we like purposely said there is no traditional combat in our game yep. but maybe your game isn't going to be completely clear about that. Or it could say one thing like original vampire that this game is about politics and feelings, Which there's no rules but for that all, all of the rules point towards superhero vampire fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you do have to kind of look at these things. All right. Understand the main premise of the game, right? This is what I'm talking about. And do these mechanics align with that premise or don't they? That's always been one of our biggest contentions about original vampire is that, The game says it's one thing, but the rules of that game look completely different.
1: Yeah, there's like one side rule in that book that's about like boons and bane's or like favors or whatever. Yeah, which is which
0: is great. I mean, I've leaned into it heavily, but again, it also you know is superhero vampire fight. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at look at things like first edition D and D or Basic D and D.
2: That game had no rules at all for negotiation, interpersonal stuff. That was a game about combat. As using your abilities to kill monsters. Yeah, I treasure. mean, but
1: you also got experience points for gathering treasure. So exactly. the game wasn't—that yes. means the game wasn't about killing monsters. Correct. The game was about stealing stuff.
0: That's right. Yes, it's whatever way you got treasure. Yes. Yeah. kill a monster. Yes, but the other thing with the other thing with with original D anD D was that. Um, well,
1: be careful. Are we talking about first edition or old D anD
0: D? I'm just I, old man D anD D. Like you know what? It's uh, advanced basic which is um, my melding of both the original Mulvey basic book oh, and the uh, AD&D This, this is
1: the house, the Phil House rule version of the indie, which is no, what no. everybody
0: played anyway back yeah. then.
1: No, we're, we're getting off track. No, anyway, no, no. Anyway, let I mean, me, thought, let yeah. me just
0: loop it back. What I mean by this is there weren't skills. So negotiation was right. a thing that was expected for players to actually have to do with the GM. Yep. And there was no way to mediate it other than by GM fiat. Right. That's, if the GM yep. didn't want to accept the negotiation, no matter how good it was, they just didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I can't actually I have no idea what the rules for it. Like if there you is can make a there like role. literally no, there, isn't there rules. rules. There were like, rules.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. There were no cause there were no skills. There was a reaction table to like determine initial reaction. Mm-hmm. But like how to change that reaction, like there was no mechanics for that. The GM just did that. Yeah. So the point of that is that was actually a mechanism, which was to not have mm-hmm. a mechanism. But like Chris said, because the reward system, the currency of that game experience points were based off of gold. Mm-hmm. Killing was just a means to get gold, yes. but so was stealing. Yep. So yep. was negotiation. Mm-hmm. But killing was the one that was codified. And honestly, at 10, killing was the fun one. And also, it's what all of the published modules were focused on. Oh, yeah. Explore, ruin, get yep. treasure, yep. level up. Kind of exactly. Anyway, Bob, yes. um, having now talked about like, how <laughs> to look at mechanics, give us a couple examples.
3: Yeah, so Jerry mentioned D&D, hit points, hit dice, and exhaustion before. With hit points, there's no negative to losing hit points until you're at zero. And with hit dice, they're a hit point recovery tool that you can use when you're taking a rest from adventuring. Exhaustion is a secondary and separate track of health measurement that is interacted with far less than hit points, but has pretty severe penalties, including death. Conclusions that you can draw from that are characters are tough. There's no ill effects from damage. You can recover health quickly, more so as you level up, and the most dangerous mechanic isn't used much. So this game is about heroic adventuring, pulp adventures, and action heroes. They get beat up a lot, but they keep going. Mm-hmm. Phil, how about an example from Cortex?
0: Sure. Stress. So we're talking about the, this mod again, right? This isn't in the main part of Cortex. You have to actually add this in, but it's a good example to bring up. Uh, we're using it in Ox, and I'm using it in Long Live the Queen. That's why we're using that as example. Exactly, right? <laughs> so stress is represented as a um, short phrase plus a die type to indicate its severity, uh, as in all things in Cortex to indicate its severity. Similar to a complication, but it's personal to character, right? You, you put it, the stress goes onto the character. And it's actually the thing that keeps you from the core rules from getting taken out in a contest. Mm-hmm. You can, instead of getting taken out in a contest, you can take stress. And having to spend a plot point, because you can spend a plot point in a contest in court, yeah. Cortex. core. Yeah. So the GM can use um, stress dice. So I get that die mm-hmm. um, when I'm going up against you. So whatever your stress is, that, goes, that die goes into my pool. And that makes my die rolls better. Right. So it actually makes die rolls for you harder, but it doesn't actually diminish your pool. No. It only enhances my pool. So it's like, it's an interesting effect because it doesn't actually make you worse, but it makes the opposition harder. It does. It increases right? the difficulty.
1: Which increases the difficulty for everything you're doing that relates to that yep. stress. Exactly. So we'll, we'll get yep. to why that might be right? later.
0: And so that is different from DD, because like in DD, like Bob was saying, you don't take any ill effects from having hit point damage, but your difficulties don't change. Mm-hmm. It's true. Whereas in Cortex, your ability to achieve something hasn't been affected. But the difficulty of achieving it has that Mm -hmm. says something different about the game. Um, And then there's also there are mods where a player can play, uh, pay a plot point, actually use the stress die. Actually right in the mod. Yeah, they can just take the stress die and use it themselves. But Mm -hmm. that actually can make things worse. So when we look at this, right, it reveals that both stress is narrative and mechanical. That's like also like in Fate. But I love this mechanic more Mm because I love the die. Mm -hmm. I love the die because it does mean something. Injured leg d6 is different from injured leg d12 well yes
1: that's like broken leg
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean those are mechanically different things yeah. and then narratively they're different by description as well um the hindrance that gets it gets worse as stress increases right so that die gets bigger and then the other problem is when that die goes above 12 you're out mm-hmm. um, and you can push it right so that's like it's a cool thing you can push it if you need to which creates another choice point during play that's also very cool so our conclusions right damage sits on the spectrum in cortex It pushes players to be more cautious. Once that die creeps up like above six or eight, it's -hmm. starting to have a real effect Mm -hmm. on you. And a D12 in your your opposition's pool is not fun. Mm -hmm. Harm matters in this game, but it doesn't make you less awesome just makes everything harder which i actually think is really cool i
1: think it doesn't make you feel like you're less awesome yes Yes. exactly which is important that's a a psychological thing oh yeah definitely and
0: and the thing with cortex and this is the thing i love about this game is that just because i have a d12 in my pool i could roll a two Mm -hmm. that d12 is not guaranteed to deliver me like an auto win it makes it scarier for you but it's not like oh he's got a d12 in there he's definitely going to beat me a d12 could just flop Mm -hmm. or hitch um, and also going back to a couple of conclusions, right? pushing through means a character's pain can be advantageous in a short burst. That's very dramatic, right? That's mm-hmm. very cool and, and says something about this game in terms of the role of drama in the game. Mm-hmm. And it also says something about agency of the player. Yes. Right. So it, it actually, it, it is speaking to the player's effect in the game it provides opportunities for cinematic moments as um, it's more relevant, the more stress you have, it starts to get more tense as that die as that die creeps up, like we talked about before, right? D6 hurt leg could be D10 broken ankle. Yeah. So, so define
2: what
1: push means. You've mentioned push several times. What does it mean in the game mechanically to push? So you can spend a plot point to take mm-hmm. the stress die and put it in your own pool instead of and taking it out of the game master's pool. So, mm-hmm. like, they lose the 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 disadvantage mm-hmm. that you are having. You're using that disadvantage as an advantage for yourself. But once you've done it, it gets worse. Yeah. Then the die goes up by one more side. Which creates that cinematic moment like, yeah. oh, look, I uh,
0: I pushed my D12 to take this guy out, but I took
1: myself out in the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And then on the, on the extreme end, right? So you can grab that D12 for one heroic push before you are taken out of the scene. Yep. yep. Like, I got to get this guy. Before he makes it out the airlock. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, all is lost. I'm going to do it. And now I got to go lay yeah. down because I'm That, that I creates a
3: super dramatic moment because you know you're riding that 12. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you got like a d6 hurt leg, like if you push that d6, eh, who no, cares? It's also not as impactful to your dipole.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a d6, if it's in my dipole versus your dipole. I mean, even that d12, if, you, if it's a two, it still can be used as the effect die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Which yeah. can still be pretty big. Which for anybody who hasn't played Cortex, I know that made any sense. But we'll we'll do some Cortex oh, episodes. We're going to do we're, we're get we're so do a deep into the weeds we Cortex do. episode can, in the near can, future. All right, let's uh, move on to which other mechanics they interact with. So now that we have a pretty good idea of playstyle and tone, the mechanic is trying to promote. We need to see how it interacts with the other systems in the game. The first thing we need to do is find the places other mechanics interact with the mechanic we're looking at. Once again, this leads to checking our rulebook, which if it's decent, has pointed us at the other places where the game mechanics interact. This isn't always the case, of course, and it leaves us needing to discover these interactions through trial and error as the game is being played. Or by reading through the entire text to find the places where things go together. Boy, do I hate that. (laughs) We we can also look around on the internet for answers, which I do all the time. Uh, Once we find the other mechanics, we ask ourselves some more questions. One, does this mechanic reinforce or change our initial conclusions and how? It's always important to ask ourselves how. And then after adding this part to the rules, are we still getting the same playstyle and tone uh, that the game is promising and that we expected? Once we've done that for these other mechanics, we can start getting a clearer picture of how this part of the game system works and can see its intended use. Jerry, would you uh, help us out by continuing with our health example?
2: Let's start by talking about D&D. In D&D, there's a bunch of different related mechanics that are all related to hit points. For example, damage, healing spells, healing potions, death saves, character abilities that grant hit points, character abilities that grant temporary hit points, and even things like damage reduction. When we look at them, they kind of fall into four different categories. Things that deplete our hit points, things that add to our hit points, things that protect our hit points, and things that affect our characters when they're at zero hit points. So, take these mechanics that surround hit points, Let's discuss them based on which categories they fit in. So first, things that deplete our character's health. Obviously, the big one is going to be damage. Things like attacks, environmental hazards, traps. And these are related to the combat system itself, but also the exploration mechanics. Sometimes you get damage results that come from failed ability checks and failed saving throws. Next, things that affect our character's health. Healing spells. Spellcasting mechanics are involved in this, but also there's spell slot resources. When you're out of healing slots, you might not be able to cast any more healing spells. Next, going to be healing potions. These are things that anybody can have, and they're going to impact the action economy. They're going to impact your encumbrance. They can impact your resting, and they're going to impact your gold expenditures. Because if you start running out of healing potions after the adventure, you have to go out and buy more. Third, we're going to talk about character abilities. Things like second wind, which some characters have that allow them to suddenly react and do something new. Some characters have things like lay on hands, which is to heal people by touching them, or healing light that comes from the Celestial Warhawk pact. All of these will add to the character's health during the game and will make the hit point recovery that much more interesting. And fast. Yes. Very, very fast. Um, it means your characters can suddenly bounce back from damaging attacks. Now, there are also things that are in the game that help protect our character's health. There are lots of spells and abilities that grant temporary hit points. There are some abilities that grant resistance to damage. There are some abilities and magic items that give you immunity to damage. Next, there are character abilities. For example, there's barbarian rage that lets you do more damage and resist attacks, and things like false life, which is a spell that helps protect your hit points. Lastly, the things that increase your armor class or saving throws. These make it less likely that the character is going to take damage in the first place. If you're harder to hit or if you're better at resisting, you're less likely to take damage because you're going to have fewer failures. Lastly, there are things that affect your characters when they're at zero hit points. In Dungeons & Dragons, once you're at zero hit points, you have to start making death saves. And if you fail three in a row, you're dead. So anything that involves death saving throws are going to affect what happens when you get down to those zero hit points. But there are also healing abilities, spells, and potions that can either stop your death saves from being needed or even bounce you back up above zero hit points. So looking at all of these... All of our initial thoughts about the game is that it's still about heroic adventuring for adventurers who can take a beating and keep on going. Any other mechanics that add in rapid healing come from many sources. Things like protective hit point loss, the mechanics that make killing characters difficult, but not impossible. Eventually, those will all wear out and your characters can be killed. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a look in Cortex, right? Some related mechanics, effect dice, plot points, hitches, scene transitions, the stressed out state, so being taken out by stress, mm-hmm. the pushing stress option. Recovering from complications, narrative positioning, as we talked about earlier. So opposing effect die can cause stress from a test. So if all of a sudden you fail a test and I've got your stress die, I can use my, depending on the narrative that we're talking about, I can use my effect die to push your stress die up. Yeah,
1: I have zero stress. You roll. You have a D6 effect die to have a D6 stress die. You now have a D6. I have a D8 and you have a D6 effect die and my D8 goes to a D10.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Hitches rolled while attempting to do something can cause stress to a character. Same narrative. You get a hitch, I can just buy it and bump up your stress die. Yep. Just a rolling one on the die. Yeah, hitches, exactly. Yep. Uh, plot points allow for players to push their character stress. We talked about that before. Scene transitioning, if it's not tense or provides a break in the action, can lower a character stress die by one step. So that's actually important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually mod your way through this. So we'll talk about that later, but that's one of those things you need to look at. Recovering stress follows the same rules as recovering from complications. So a place where a character can reasonably recover. It's very open-ended for that. GM's going to have to make some, you know, determinations. Mm-hmm. So there's a narrative positioning. And then engage the recovery mechanic, which requires a test. Mm-hmm. So our conclusions from this, right? Initial take, damage is on a spectrum, right? So from D4 all the way up to being taken out. Mm-hmm. Players might want to be a little more cautious with their choices at the higher end. You may not be quite as concerned at the lower end, but you're definitely going to get more concerned as you get up there. That is true. Yeah. Um, related mechanics reinforce that initial take, right? Hitches. Hitches are a risk and they come up more often than you think so much. Um, (laughs) And honestly, and this is kind of cool because this is, you know, we talk, we talked about this a lot in fate of keeping the economy flowing. Mm -hmm. I want to buy your hitches. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have stress, it's a very easy hitch for me to buy. Mm -hmm. I don't have to make up too many things. It's a very quick way for me to be like, here's your plot point, bump up your stress die. Dude, man, it follows
1: dungeon world rules though. Like it's not always the most interesting thing that you can do. It's not, it's
0: not. And we'll talk about it when we talk about Cortex later. It's not, but it is a really, like, it's a it's an easy one if you need to just grab something quick. Mm-hmm. So hitches can be har- as harmful as failing tests or contests. Uh, yeah, it's painful. If you roll more than one one, I only have to pay one plot point to grab all of those as one die. It just goes, it goes six, eight,
2: and then on up. A few weeks ago, my scientist was trying to work on stopping a virus and instead i rolled five ones in the same I, dice roll and, and that
0: actually clicks off a different
2: mechanism because that but, is but, 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 a botch but, but what i'm saying though is that you you spent one plot point to buy a d12. a, a
0: d12. d12 yep
2: yeah um, which, i actually then transitioned prominent. that out to a whole storyline yeah. i yeah. like
0: took it off the table
2: <laughs> But the fact is that it, that when you roll those hitches, um, the GM just pays one and creates new things
0: for you, which can be really interesting. I, I actually have it. I actually have the option to break it up. Like mm-hmm. if I wanted to, I could pay you multiple mm-hmm. and uh, break it into multiple dice mm-hmm. if I felt like it. To yeah. To
1: be clear, with our since we're just discussing Cortex rules right now, he rolled five ones. Phil could have bought a D twelve and a D six. Yeah. yeah, he only bought the D twelve though. He yeah. was nice. That was yeah. nice of him. Yeah.
0: We had fun with it
3: too. He's a benevolent GM.
0: Okay, so again, this all pushes proactive playstyle, right? To recover from stress faster. If you start racking up stress, it starts to become a thing on your mind about how to get the stress die back down. Yep. So players attempting to guide the story can help themselves recover faster. Uh, also, means that pushing stress is a viable choice if you don't mind taking <coughs> a little extra damage or don't mind getting taken out for the rest of the scene. You could make a last ditch effort, which I actually think is really good. I think it's a nice, uh, it's a nice option. All right, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. That's our conclusions for Cortex.
3: Before we move on, it's worth noting that designers make a lot of choices for reasons that might not seem in line with the tone and play style the game is promoting. When you run across something like that, it's worth it to ask yourself if it's on purpose or if it might have been an oversight, because oversights do happen. Game designers make mistakes. In these cases, you can make a change, try it out. Let everyone at the table know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you can even ask them what they think about the mechanic and how it's working in the game. If you're not confident in making those changes and experimenting, then you can always ask whichever online community that you're comfortable with, or you can just search about the mechanic and how people use it in their games. It doesn't work for every game, but it helps with a lot of them.
2: If you followed the steps at this point and we've done our analysis correctly, we have a pretty solid understanding of what tone and play style the mechanic is trying to create in your game. With this knowledge, we can craft our scenes and our sessions to fit that play style. So, for example, let's take D&D, and let's say you want a combat, and in that combat, you want to have a bunch of squishy NPCs and a bigger, distracting brute for the players to deal with. Rar. Yep. <laughs> so, for our initial concepts, um, we're going to start by making just a, a couple of NPCs with few hit points, and then one that goes, rarr. That's has right. a lot of hit points.
3: I'm thinking of that D&D commercial they had with the that, gnome. I'm a monster. monster.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I must have missed that one.
1: Back on uh, back on point. (laughs) Uh, So seriously, uh,
2: well, not seriously at all. But so yeah, if you want to combat with a bunch of squishy NPCs and a bigger distracting brute, you're going to start by making a bunch of NPCs with only a few hit points, and the one with a lot of hit points because you expect that one to last longer. The squishy NPCs might be designed as ranged attackers so that they can be intended to be annoyances on the outside of the fight, and that way the brute can wait in the battle, take some damage, and be a distraction and still be there. So when you're building them, you're going to start with the brute. And when building the Brute, you're going to give him higher than average hit points. You're going to give them an ability that makes it harder for the characters within range to just walk away easily so that they can be that distraction. And you might want to give them a reaction. that allows them to take half damage from a damage source themselves so they can stay alive longer once. So once you let this Brute put together and you've got these little squishy NPCs running around, you can put some tactics together for your encounter. Start with the Brute and have them do whatever they can to get to the back lines of the party so they can go after those ranged characters and the spellcasters and do some damage while the squishies are going to run around target the backliners, stay spread out. They don't get hit by area of attack effects and basically uh, move around to keep the players constantly refocusing. So in conclusion, we built this whole thing based on how the hit points apply to the adversaries. We got the squishy ones. We don't expect to last longer and the brute who's going to take more damage with abilities that keep them around for a little bit longer while the little squishy guys are doing some some maneuvers. Similar results can be used by changing it to have monsters of appropriate challenge ratings with similar ideals in mind, ideas in mind whether they be magic or resistances, or maybe even things like movement and flight that keep them out of the range of people on the ground.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Any of this can be done Simply create an encounter that's interesting, all while focusing on
1: how hit points and damage uh, affect the flow of the combat itself. So, Chris, tell us a little about Cortex. All right, I'm going to start with an example. So let's say we have a hacker character named Brett, and in this game, he has a stress of shattered confidence D8. Uh, they gained it when they tried to outhack another hacker and were defeated. That sent their crew of thieves running from the authorities. The Shattered Confidence was a D10, but the crew had a scene in, in between where they tell Brett it's okay, but this only reduced the stress to a D8 because they didn't have enough time or the right situation to help Brett shake off what happened with the other hacker. In the next scene, the group needs to break into a secure storage facility to recover some of the art pieces stolen from their client. The security system has a D12 uh, cameras. They're very good and Brett is going to try and loop them to get rid of the conflict, this, uh, this distinction on the table. What do they call them? I'm sorry. Yeah, Lincoln. distinction. Distinction on the table. Yeah. yeah, thank you. It's a D12. It's difficult to get rid of. So the GM grabs two D10s, since it's a difficult hack. That's two D10s is difficult. That's, that's the, the, a standardized test uh, uh, level. Yeah. To go with the D12 camera that will put that in the pool, and goes to put the Shattered Confidence D8 into the pool, but Brett pays a plot point and grabs the D8 for their pool, believing themselves to be exceptional, and the hacker that got the better of them just got lucky, at least for the moment. Brett managed to succeed at disabling the cameras, but feels like it should have been much easier. Maybe they really have lost their touch, which is what increases their shattered confidence back to a deep 10. Now, this sequence of play allowed for the players to help one of their own heal a bit. That's a thing that I'm pointing out there because of the in-between. They didn't need to, but it's there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a nice little story beat. And then Brett used their stress to help them succeed at the next test so their team could infiltrate the storage facility, even though it cost, cost Brett more stress. It created some up and down beats to the game and allowed for some drama. Uh, for the character. And those are all mechanics surrounding stress.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's now go into our next step here, shifting for effect, right? So we're now talking about changing up the rules. Mm -hmm. Phil, why would we do this? Right. I love this. Like, why would we do it? There's a couple of reasons, right? One, we may be making a permanent fix to adjust for play style and tone. Maybe the game we're playing, we want to be more heroic. We want Mm -hmm. to be grittier, those kinds of things than what the core game is. True. And the other one, and this one I think actually comes up a lot, is making rulings on the fly when players push a game into a place where rules don't handle things in a satisfying way. And we mean satisfying as in, I can't clearly get it out of the rule book Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. close, but not exactly it. So I need to kind of, I need to drift or hack my way into this. We go to that first point, we're adjusting play style and tone, right? There's a little process we can follow. And if we're doing this as we're setting up a game, like we have a little time to think this through. We want to know what tone or playstyle we're looking for. Are we pulp action? Are we gritty? That kind of thing. Are we super scientists saving the galaxy? Exactly. Um, identify which mechanics you might need to shift to get that desired play style or tone. Do we need to mess with hit points? Is it skill checks? Is it the skill list? What do we need to get to that desired state? In fact, actually, I would say, because I've been I've been doing this whole training thing at work on leading change, right? What is your current state? What is your desired state? Mm -hmm. What does it take to get to that state? What has to change to get to that desired state? That's exactly what
1: we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: Once you know what that change is, you then need to analyze how that change is going to affect the game. And the first part is going to be easy. You're going to make some statement about hit points. You're going to be like, yes, it changes the game because hit points are part of combat and so if i make this change it directly affects outcomes in combat Mm -hmm. but then you got to do the one step deeper you got to do the knockoffs you got to chase down remember we talked. we talked about go back and look at all the things it touches you got to race mentally race down all of those things and look at if i change this does it change this thing this thing this thing this thing and you have to play out this little mental game okay if it does change it what does that mean for the game
1: i will talk about this in a future episode about how I did this to my D&D game. The the game that I'm currently running two campaigns of right now.
0: Yeah. And there's a whole thing. Maybe you will find them all. Maybe you won't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm not doing it right now is because this episode would be like two hours long. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 100%. This is the process you have to take, right? The obvious one's going to be, like I said, obvious. You're going to know immediately. I make this change. I reach the desired state. That's good. It's the knockoffs that are going to kill you. Yep. It's the ones that you don't expect or where things are going to get wonky. Okay, cool. So... Do the things that we talked about before, chase those down, those kinds of things. So let's talk about D&D. Our problem for this example, combat feels like battles of attrition. Enemies aren't exciting. And it's like Rock'em Sock'em Robots Dull, right? Cool, we're just we're just cool. literally just going to keep pounding on a thing until something's head pops. Okay. We'd like more surprises during combat. We want like, you know, people want to be like wowed, right? Mm-hmm. During combat. I love being wowed during combat. Sure. How are we going to fix this? We're going to steal one of the best fourth edition mechanics ever.
1: yeah, Bloodied. Best mechanic ever for monsters if, ever if there is anything legendary legendary actions might be better
0: right but i mean it's so stealable right mm-hmm. bloodied was bloodied was just one of my favorites if you never played fourth edition bloodied is a condition that occurs at 50 percent hit points when you hit your 50 percent hit points it kicks off some uh, mechanism some rule package <coughs> could be a new set of abilities like all of a sudden like some of their stats change or they get a magical power uh sometimes we go anime it changes to a different state that's also very cool mm-hmm. sometimes it shifts the encounter the cool so part many. is you just can plug whatever you need into this. So it goes, it frenzies, it mm-hmm. speeds up, it slows down, its skin turns to rock, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, bloodied allows for more variety because it's the kind of thing where players know uh, there's actually two things and I, two things I like about bloodied. One, it does the thing that we talked about; it adds <laughs> surprise to the action, and it can shake up combat pretty dramatically when you hit it. The other cool thing is it also indicates to players where the opposition is. Because once they take on bloodied, you know you've got them at least halfway. You've pushed them over the halfway mark. And that actually can do a lot for table psychology. Yep. Uh, it, it actually has a dual effect. Again, this is that thing running down mm-hmm. the other unintended effects.
1: Here's a here's a thing that I, I just want to throw in there that maybe for the people that are designing D&D stuff with this bloody mechanic don't think about is like it can also be like a negative thing for the bad guys too. Absolutely. Like I was doing it where uh yeah. these these uh bad guys that they were fighting on Friday, they're uh, they had like onyx armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as they chipped away at it and they got to the bloody they basically knocked it all off so So, reduce their armor class so
0: i and this is going to go to a thing Mm -hmm. that you and i have talked about when we're hanging out on zoom when you are looking at and again i want to say looking at this not controlling it but when you are as a gm kind of sketching out Mm -hmm. the feel and flow of a detailed combat what this bloodied does it creates a beat change Mm -hmm. so in chris's term these creatures are really tough until you whittle them to halfway and then they get easier so this combat starts really grindy really hard like not a lot of damage and then once you crack them it speeds up Mm -hmm. now you can have a completely different beat structure of that where you have a character that's not terribly difficult he's hitting he's hitting he's hitting he pops bloody hits an area effect that like puts a condition on everybody or an area effect attack that suddenly (coughs) like does damage everyone it's a very different feel that's like a thing and that's also a future episode where we can talk about not just combat but sculpting scenes like mm-hmm. sketchings i don't have a good word for it yeah because what i'm trying not to do is say control
1: no this is encounter design it's yeah. a it's a it's yeah. a it's a it's yeah. a
0: different way to do encounter design. yeah
1: but it's like setting up your intents because yeah. they won't always go the Story way you think they intended will intended encounter design
0: yeah, because they won't always go the way you think they'll go once the dice hit the table. But like you can often plot out how you'd like it to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can have some ideas. So that's where, so Bloody does that thing. Mm-hmm. It actually lets you do that in a variety of ways. Like you said, by just
3: deciding what you plug in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a relatively simple concept, but it has so much depth mm-hmm. to it. The, the psychological effects. effect on the players is, it, to me, that was the most brilliant part. When mm-hmm. I was running that 4E four four campaign for a year. When, when that bloody thing hit like you could feel the changer on the table yeah you start to rally
2: or, or you get they're only at half hit points uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah that happens you get you get that sometimes when you're like well we've just used all of our abilities and he's only got half hit points that's a good that's a good time
0: to run away or yeah. the yeah. scarier one is we've used all our abilities he's not bloody yeah. yet yeah that's a sign like we may be in over our heads exactly yet. yeah It also changed the tactics that players may have to use. Mm -hmm.
2: If all of a sudden something happens and a character becomes stronger or weaker in the game that we were playing on Friday, we had a bunch of low level allies that we were trying to keep alive. But once we knew that we'd reached bloody down an enemy and they were no longer at full armor, that meant that we could rely on the, (coughs) the, the, the flunkies that we had to do some damage, take them down. We could be a little bit less cautious around those particular enemies and refocus on the ones that weren't bloodied yet
1: that's when they started jumping off cliffs
2: so so
0: so tactic wise right if you're as a group you're playing you might have an area effect spell that's going to do some decent damage but you actually don't want to trigger it until the last of the opposition goes bloodied so that they're they all take more damage when you drop it right so now you're not dropping this you're making a hard choice, right? You're not dropping this what is probably useful spell because you're kind of waiting for mm-hmm. the condition to apply to everybody so that it'll do it'll be more effective. So, so Bob should put a pin in the scene design yeah. thing so that we can do that later. Well, you just write it
1: down. So we, yeah. we'll, we'll remember. We'll yes. remember.
0: Let me do the cortex example really quick and then we'll uh, yeah. and then yeah. we'll move on. If in cortex, we're looking at uh, stress reduction, right? I think that's a great one to look at because stress reduction says a lot of things in the in the game. It's going to have a direct impact on action oriented versus risk averse play styles. Mm -hmm. If your stress clears at the end of every scene, turn it up like you can be awesome in every scene and not have to worry about it. Because then, you know, once it clears, you can just be awesome again. Mm -hmm. If stress doesn't reduce by one step, if stress doesn't just automatically step down and you actually have to take some actions to do it, one it could make things more risk averse or grittier mm-hmm. or two, it could force more scenes like more dramatic scenes mm-hmm. to actually deal with those things. Yep. It, it probably will actually do both because you will actually be more careful about a run of scenes in a row. If you are not reducing your stress, mm-hmm. because like we said before, it will start to tick up.
1: My favorite thing about these two examples between Dungeons and Dragons and Cortex is I love both these games. I think they're mm-hmm. both great. Cortex is a lot simpler in its mechanical design, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got like a way more elegant design. Yep. d and is a way like interactive there's so many more interactive parts It's one of the things that i was hoping we could get across like not all games are built equal mm-hmm. some games are much harder to interpret than others like yeah. it's taken me years to really kind of get a grasp of fifth edition DD. on the bright side for cortex i've been having these nice conversations every other week with phil and it's really helped us kind of sort
0: out a lot of the problems that we've been having with the game i guess the difference in design is that DD like i'm just gonna use my hands here hold on hold on hold on hold on Mr. mark road noise i know right (laughs) the road warrior was here road warrior (laughs) um so DD starts thick and then you plug in some mods Mm -hmm. cortex starts like anemically thin Mm -hmm. and you have to consciously put mods into it to do a thing Mm -hmm. so it winds up with a very different design because you only fatten that game up with the things that you want that core game is like a two-page pamphlet it's the mods that start packing in everything, mm-hmm. which is great because you don't use all of them. You mm-hmm. just pick and choose for your style. It is both elegant, but it is also like when you build one, you are starting with a minimalist and building it, like just widening it a little, mm-hmm. as opposed to D&D where you're starting with it already thick. And maybe you're thinning it a little, or maybe you're thickening it a little, <laughs> but you mostly aren't messing with the the meat of the game. Mm-hmm. The Cortex yeah. is a
3: much more tailored experience yeah. when yeah. you get the the, the final, which,
2: which also means when when working with it and designing things that you also have to give more thought to how the different mods are going to interact where with D, if you've played DD, you have a pretty good idea how most of the game is going to flow and how most of the things are going to interact so you start adding custom mods it's using adding <laughs> custom mods yep and so they're both good games that require different schools of thought on how you're approaching them when you're doing changes and drifts yes. and hacks because changing Something in one game might have a very different effect than changing it in another.
1: Let's move on yeah. to uh, to the, the second point, which is about making calls. So this is this is not drifting your rules or shifting your rules or modding your rules. This is about what happens when the thing doesn't work the way that you want. I guess this is about drifting, right? According to our definition, this is a drift.
0: This is a drift, which you might later promote up to like a full hack. Yeah. If, yeah. you know, like, some, like if it's a thing that comes up and you're like, oh, you know what? This thing's going to come up all the time. Mm-hmm. I might as well. Yeah. But good. So. Say, uh,
1: like a player is trying to do something around the edge of the rules and you don't want to say no, because that happens. Like, I'm like, that's a great idea. How do I not, how do I make this work inside of the game? So if you've developed that analysis skill, it makes it easier to make those on the fly changes to the rules. Like you can just do it like that. Your one-off calls will be closer to the mechanical ideas of the game too, which that feels better. Like Mm -hmm. that feels like the game that you're playing instead of something way outside of it. Mm -hmm. So say in d and you're a spellcaster. You have a ritual that you want to counter. There's not really actual rules for countering rituals inside of Dungeons & Dragons. Like, I suppose you could throw a counter spell at it, but that's like a third-level spell. It's very specific. But, you know, people love to use their Arcana skills and other things to do that. So the DM says, I'll let you make an Arcana check to counter the ritual, but you need to spend a spell slot to do it. Also, I'll say the higher the spell slot that you spend, the more of a bonus I'll give you. Mm-hmm. Now, spending a resource to counter a ritual spell that's being performed seems quite in line with D&D. You spent a resource, you get a benefit based on the strength of the resource spent, and then you make a role to implement the attack on your adversary, in this case, the ritual. It's outside of the rules, but it still feels like you're playing the game. I think that's a really good way that it goes.
3: That's, I, a, that's I, a good
1: example.
2: And I think it's important when you're looking at a game to look at uh, the mechanics of the game and see what is there for quick hacks and quick mods. Um, in, in a game like D&D, the inspiration advantage disadvantage mechanic yeah. makes it very easy to simply make a call on the fly. Somebody he wants to do something that's on the edge, you say, okay. Give that a try, but you have disadvantage, which means you're going to roll twice and take the lower die roll. Not
1: even a mod that's actually just right in the game. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to change anything,
2: but it makes it easy to do those kind of things on the fly until you come up with what you want to deal with. If you need to make a more permanent hack, Mm -hmm. most games out there, especially more modern games will have some sort of mechanic in there. Those are good to look at and find them and identify them and kind of keep in your back pocket as a GM to use.
0: Yeah, when you're Absolutely. drifting, I think a good rule of thumb in any case of drifting is the closer you can stay to an existing mechanic, mm-hmm. the better. Like, for instance, let's say you had a, you're playing a game that has no rules for, I don't know, swimming in armor, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. the player jumps in, swims with armor. What you don't want to do is be like, OK, look, I'm going to roll this random D12 that I've picked up. If it's higher than a three, you can stay above water. If it's lower than a three, you drown. Mm-hmm. as opposed to, okay, there's a core mechanic rule in here for swimming. Swimming in armor seems really hard, so I'm going to assign you a penalty. Go ahead and make your roll. Indeed, now, it's just as advantage. Right. Now, <laughs> both of those are, I mean, both of those are rulings. Well, I
1: mean, indeed, there's rules for swimming in armor. But, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. But both of those are
0: rulings, right? Yeah. Like, the GM has told you to do a thing. There's, you know, some sort of mechanic rule that they've proposed. But the idea is that when you're making those rulings, to try to stick closer,
1: to whatever the actual rules are. And this Mm -hmm. is, I
0: I will say this, this is what was hard for me when I was a kid about AD&D and basic D&D, like basic advanced Mm -hmm. D&D, right? That weird Mm -hmm. amalgamation. There wasn't a clean core mechanic, right? You had saving throws over here. You had AC over here. You had stat checks, which like sometimes people use, but never like, so swimming in armor, should that have been a strength check? Should it have been a saving throw? Which saving throw should it have been? When you get to third edition, and they're like, OK, look, there's a core mechanic for this game. It's a D20. It's a bonus. It, a D20 stat, skill bonus, modifiers, modifiers roll against a DC. <laughs> Suddenly, fielding those kinds of questions became much easier. Yep. Because you're just like, oh, I will fall to this core mechanic. Whereas like in those D&D days or like Star Frontiers or whatever, where you're just kind of like, there's rules over here and over there. You did your best.
2: And when we're in something like Cortex now. It'd be like, OK, you fall in the water. And you're going to make a, a standard swimming check, so it's going to be like two d8s. Make an athletics check. You're wearing armor. What kind of armor are you wearing? You're wearing d8 armor. Great, oh, that goes in the opposing pool. Yep, that goes in the opposing pool. <laughs> Great. I'll take that what armor die, yeah, please. Yep, give me that. You got d8 armor. Hand it over And it makes it easy to simply. Yeah. Those are the kind of you want to look at in the game. And how quickly can you make those mods? Is that really? Which, a, is that really a drift though? Because that's in the rules. But what what I'm getting at is 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 what you don't want to do is get bogged down with ten minutes of trying to figure oh, out. Oh yeah, what should, I mean if that's if that's what the thing i are talking about, I, yeah, yeah well, that's what I was getting. I at. think
0: the part that's kind of outside of the rules is if you have rules for armor. Yeah. Because none of our games currently but, but have rules. Just, yeah. None of our games currently have rules for armor my,
1: for Cortex. No, my my, my game. No, no,
0: I'm talking about like I'm talking about like Cortex, oh, yeah, Jerry Cortex. True. Like, I don't have a thing like I like if you had an armor distinction then flipping it so that I get the die would mm-hmm. be interesting because that's not actually in the rules, but it makes narrative sense yeah. that you are like, mm-hmm. kick-ass armor probably should weigh down. probably. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. then when you get to future armor, like does like, you know, I don't know, does my, you know, nano weave D8 mm-hmm. actually count against me or should it be better in swimming? Like you're going to wind up in some places where uh, you have to make some decisions. Also
1: yeah. my space marine armor, I could just probably walk at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Sure.
0: Narratively, you might just be like, I have sealed systems and I'll be like, cool, I don't make a roll. Like just walk. Am I going to sink heavily? Yeah, great. I
2: grabbed the other guy and dragged him down. <laughs> that's right. Let's go. go. Yeah,
1: let's what? go. The tyranny went down with me.
0: I once not did that, in,
2: uh, that's not
1: good.
0: No, that's not good. I once <laughs> did that with a bad guy because I had a character head and vulnerability, and I jumped out of a building and just held on to him. I was like, "I'll be fine." He's going to use the earth to stop you. There's a
2: situation in one of the Pathfinder modules that people have talked about. That. Actually, the players that I had did the same thing when I was running it. Was they encountered a creature that had damp- that had magic resistance, magic resistance. And couldn't be harmed by non Magic weapons. They didn't have any. So they just held it underwater until it drowned.
1: drowned
3: it. It. There you go. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. All right. All right, Bob. Yeah. So our final thing on Drifting the Rules is you're probably going to mess up at some point. Mm-hmm. You might not understand how a rule shift will affect other mechanics in the game and how a mechanic acts in a way you didn't intend. I'm here to tell you it's okay. It's not a big deal if you make a mistake. We've all done it. It's fine if something doesn't work. You can always go back to the way it was before or try something else. We're not talking about professional game design here. You're just having fun with your friends around the game table, and you'll never get better if you don't try and fail a few times. There's a try-fail cycle, just like in heroic action. We don't really get to play test this stuff all the time.
0: You're play testing live. You're making changes <laughs> to prod. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Live. I don't
3: always test test my stuff in prod. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't do. always test my stuff, but when I do, it's in prod. <laughs> we yeah. just try it in live environments, see what works. But I will say this: when you try this stuff, err in favor of your players. Yes. Be a fan of yep. the players and their characters. That way, even when you mess up, they'll still be pretty happy. Yep, absolutely. And last thing: um if you study
2: up and GM enough up to your game to have some rules mastery, you can really help yourself make these rules drifts. It also helps to have a ton of on-the-fly calls when players try out-of-the-box things, and this will help you make rulings that are going to feel as fairest to the game as possible, um, while allowing for creative play from you and your your players. Basically, study up your game, read it more than once. When you're playing the game, pay attention to things that work. And pay attention to the things, as we said, that are easy to adapt to on the fly calls. It's something you can easily do and just go from there. The very first time I ran D&D 5th edition, very first time at Gen Con, I had a bunch of players trying all sorts of things. You know, can two of us use Mage Hand to tie a rope in midair? Sure. You know, make a check with disadvantage because it's something you've never done before. They succeeded. had a great time, but I gave them something to try. Yeah, that's Link a good call. That's character.
1: a rules drift. That's totally a rules drift. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was totally, I mean,
3: it's a ruling. Yeah yeah. 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 All right. They had a good time with it. Yeah. I mean, if you if you run into something that you're not sure what to do, mm. think about the game you're playing. Yep. Is there something already in the game that's kind of adjacent? Yep. Similar in structure and be like, let's try that. Yep. And if it doesn't work, try something different. Yep. Yep. Awesome.
0: All right. Good. I think that's a nice workshop. Yeah. I think we can put a wrap on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Cool. We're going to wrap up here and move right into the conversation corner. But first, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the Mark Mark Network.
3: Yeah, so uh, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, kids. Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the Dark Sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. I still, to this day, have never played Dark Sun, and I want to just at least play one game. like one. It's Those guys it's are going to be so mad that there's not a 5th edition Dark Sun yet. Is <laughs> I mean, t- yeah,
0: TSR, is the word. TSR just, or TSR, Wizards just keep screwing them over. Like, oh, new setting, nope. Nope. No. No. We're getting. We're getting. Um. Spelljammer and Dragonlance. Yep.
3: But still no dark sun. <laughs> it's coming. They're. They're going to do dark sun. Yeah. They, they, yeah. It's, or. Or sixth
0: edition. One or the other. Five uh, point five. Five point five. Five point 5. 5. 5. five. five That's coming. 6. I'm serious. No,
1: like, no. Five point five. That's why. Yeah. Alrighty. Let's. Uh, let's. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Um, let's start with you, Bob. Like, tell. Uh, let's talk about stuff. I don't even know how this works anymore. Oh. Okay. Yeah, well. So, hey,
3: we'll familiarize you. Yeah. So the one thing is the thing you detail, and then everything else is like mm-hmm. I did some of this. I have gotten back. I drifted away. Uh-huh, see how I use that? Drifted, drifted. Drifted. I drifted away from my recreational reading, and I went for like a couple weeks, maybe three weeks, without doing any recreational reading. And I was like, I have to. I have to do that. One because it gets me out of the chair, away from Valheim for a little bit. Because I spend <laughs> some evenings, I'll spend four hours, five hours. So much time in a row, just sitting on my butt playing Valheim and then it'll be like, oh, it's time to go to bed. And I turn off the machine and I go and I crawl into bed immediately from my screen. And I need that. Personally, the, the theory is, is that everybody should do this is get away from your screens. Don't be looking at your phone for like a certain amount of time before you actually go to sleep. Get your face off the screens. And it helps you go to sleep and helps you <laughs> fall asleep him. faster. It's He's not, it's not for everybody. No. no,
0: no, I'm not saying it's not for everybody. I'm saying I'm failing hard, yeah. man. It failing works for me. Hard. So I
3: try to do that. Yeah. And one No, of it the works things, for me too.
0: I'm just not doing <laughs> yeah, it. That's the problem.
3: One of the things that I find is reading, it's a different kind of focus for my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I will find myself, A, getting through more books because I want to get through more books because I have a big to-be-read list. And I also, it wears me down mm-hmm. a certain amount. So I read for like half an hour, an hour, and then I'm like, I am definitely ready for bed now. I fall asleep a lot better. So I've been doing more recreational reading. I'm finishing up the third book of a of a trilogy. So in addition to that, um, playing uh, Chris's Friday night D D game every other week, which is a blast. Loving it. Um, Strange New Worlds is crushing it. <laughs> Super fun episode. If three. you're if you're a Star Trek fan, if you're a fan of the episodic type of Star Trek and not like the more Deep Space Nine or or, uh, discovery. or discovery type of extended type stuff. If you like that episodic feel, Stranger Worlds is just killing it. Mm-hmm. Or if um, you like both, or if you like yeah. both, I yeah. just like
0: both. But it's also killing. And yeah. Daddy
3: Pike, you know? yeah. Miss um, Marvel is a is a treat. I'm enjoying the hell out of God, that, show. that show. It's so good. The finale for Obi Wan Kenobi <laughs> was amazing. Yeah, That yeah, was
1: that was that Holy was worth the, uh, yeah that was worth the price. Absolutely. Of the
3: and of course, uh, I've just been pounding Valheim like there's no tomorrow because I just love I love the graphics I love building and, and foraging and making shit and so much Minecraft. C- collaborating with, with my <laughs> friends and yep. it's a different itch. I'm going too long on this. It's a different itch than yep. Minecraft was. So that's that Jerry.
2: Uh, my one thing is going to be the D game. We played what, um, what? we spent uh, actually it was kind of neat. Cause this week we went to Bob's characters, Homeland. So, Bob, so Bob and Chris got together about an hour earlier and started setting that up. I happened to arrive and just kind of sat back and watched. And so they did some basic world building and then we all got to come along and explore Bob's character's homeland, meet some people, talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everything that we were encountering was established. And so as we went through it, Chris did a lot of really fun question, answer stuff of, Oh, you want to buy, you're looking for food. What kind of food do you think these kind of, these people would have? And so now we all talked to the table about, this is what we saw. And we kept building on it as mm-hmm. we went, we encountered people and talked to them. We had a really interesting conversation about the fact that this is a society that, uh, it was a very social socialist society. They have no concept of haggling whatsoever, which caused some
3: interesting. Yeah. This is the shoot. price. This is what this thing yeah. is worth. So you give me this, and I give you the product, and that's it's, it. Yeah, it's it's the Saturn, Saturn salespeople society. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it was. It was like we explained what haggling was. Like that sounds like a inefficient. I'm like yeah, I hate it. It's horrible. <laughs> totally. Uh, it's, it's it's thing. And then we got some some background story stuff, and in the middle of basically recovering and dealing with the problems of being in an unusual area a combat breaks out that we get called on the nation we're in paid our patron to send a force to deal with some problems. They sent the four of us. And there was this big question of they only sent four of you. Yes.
3: That's all you said. Well, to be fair. Yeah. It's they didn't send the four of us. I only brought the (laughs) four. Yes. And they left it up to me and I'm like, I'm just gonna bring my three friends. And
2: then Chris sets up this (laughs) encounter where we're fighting Two different groups of villains who have magically enhanced onyx armor, earth armor. We're fighting on a terraced plateau. We arrive after a few of the defenders are still up, but a bunch of them are knocked down. And so not only was our objective to stop the bad guys, but we decided our objective was keep as many of the defenders alive as possible. Which changed the tactics we had to use. Mm -hmm. And then things got interesting. (laughs) This was a lot of fun because we had the the bloody effect which mm-hmm. was kind of interesting the abilities the characters had and the fact that once the bloody the bloody effect occurred it changed how we had to deal with our, our battles mm-hmm. because we had to refocus things um, the previous encounter we'd fought a uh, chris had a magical uh, chimera which each head had its own <coughs> hit points the monster itself had its the body had its own hit points and the head and the body all had some bloodied effects so the fight against this monster kept changing throughout the battle because mm-hmm. we realized that just beating down one of the heads wasn't enough to take it out. So the whole thing was every encounter becomes fun and challenging, and you're constantly thinking your way through it. Mm-hmm. You're working as a team, and Chris encourages very heavy, heroic, pulpy. It's kind of my stick. Yeah, we we you know we've got this this ten foot drop to go from terrace to terrace. Uh, you can climb down and take part, or you can just jump down and take a d six of damage, and that's just uh, a rule. Chris's partner, Jen, her character is our heavy. We're chasing people over jumping from terrace to terrace anime style with scars fluttering in the air and landing on bad guys. It's true. There were scars fluttering. In the air. It, it, it made Lots for a fluttering. very cinematic fun fight. that still yep. felt like Dungeons and dragons Yep, all at the same time. So anyway, great games. This is every other week. This has been a, a big like end of the week wrap up how to get fired up for the weekend. Everything else, strange new worlds. Just watch it. Just watch it. Miss Marvel is incredible. The Obi-Wan finale blew me away. It was funny because I was watching the finale while we were playing Valheim one night with Bob. I had it because we were doing something menial like Harvesting Copper and Bob hears me in the background going, holy shit. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I've been watching the boys and the boys is really good. All I'll say is it's not for everybody. It's a very dark show. But if you like dark, gritty shows with a lot of adult content, it can be a lot of fun. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone. It's, it's, it's basically deconstructing the superhero genre. It's like if the Watchmen was more lighthearted at dark at the same time. Dark humorous, dark humorous. Thank you.
0: Yeah. All right, Phil. Yeah. My one thing for this week, I had a pretty. um, I'll talk about it in a minute. I had a pretty much not very geeky week. So my one thing this week, I'll uh, mention my article on Gnome Stew this week, uh, where I talked about GM doodling. There's actually pictures from our game in that article, but uh, this was the thing a couple weeks ago. I kind of stumbled on the idea of doodling while I'm GMing to actually have pictures of things that I was describing to show Mm -hmm. the players. But also, it turns out to be a really interesting way to also kind of keep Uh, notes I have an index card where I keep actual word notes Mm -hmm. but the pictures actually themselves as soon as I looked at them and right this is the power of images like as soon as I looked at them for the next session I was like oh yeah right this is where we are Mm -hmm. but I thought it helped and I mean look I you know the article talks all about this I'm 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 not an artist by any stretch of the imagination you don't really need to be I was able to with like several bad sketches describe out all of our situations and it just added to our theater of the mind, right? So the shared narrative space, right? That's a thing that we've talked about here Mm -hmm. and how to maintain a good shared narrative space. And it's honestly, in 40 years, it's not a thing I've done in terms of doodling. I have done, obviously Mm -hmm. for games, I have put out battle mats and I've done all of that stuff where it totally works in combat. Right. I talk about this in the article. Like, of course, every like, yes, battle mats and, and minis mm-hmm. and stuff. Absolutely. Which proves the point, right? When you put down a battle mat, even if you just grab a marker and do the hallways, the room, whatever. Yeah, if you're doing relative positioning, it makes a big difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference, even right? A
3: terrible sketch can be very evocative.
0: Yeah. yeah. The point being is don't be shy about it. Do your terrible sketches. And mm-hmm. so I talk about it all in that article and it was fun. I've, I've done it for two sessions of Ox and I will probably do it for the rest of Ox, I don't need to do it for Nights Black Agents because we have a different uh, visual <laughs> aid, which is uh,
3: murder board. Yeah, the
0: miro, the miro murder board, and Google Earth. Yeah, and Google Earth. So I actually don't need the extra help with that. But I got to say, for now on, when I when I when I GM Theater of the Mind games, I'm probably going to stick around with like that that doodling thing because it seems to be helping. You have a dry erase pad, don't you? So I had to look it up because I was like, oh, I'm like, I went to look for the um, manufacturer of it. Yeah. So the one I got and you can get, you can get other ones on Amazon, Mm -hmm. but the one I got was from a Kickstarter from like, like a million years ago. I backed this thing and it's basically a dry erase spiral notebook. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually use it um, landscape style because I'm left-handed and fucking bindings are the curse (laughs) of all things. So I put the binding at the top so Mm -hmm. I don't have to try to like stick my hand on it. And, um, and then, yeah. And so you can, um, I'm using those Mm semi-permanent, you know, I I forget the company stat Uh, stadler or something like that Mm -hmm. the semi-permanent ones which is cool because when we're between sessions i can actually close the book up and the drawing stay Mm -hmm. but if i go get like a um, wet paper towel i can just wipe that whole thing away and start over so it's cool i i I was digging it anyway um the rest of my weekend pretty much was spent with um my son's graduation from high school uh it was a three-day family event with family coming in on friday the actual commencement on saturday evening Um, and the, um, party on Sunday afternoon, proud Papa here. Mm -hmm. Um, very good, but I had to spend all of my time doing non-geeky things, uh, because I had to entertain family, hosted a dinner on Sunday night, um, helped out at the party, all of that stuff. It was amazing. It was great. Um, but the only thing I watched this week was strange new worlds. It is the one show I will not fall behind on. So Mm -hmm. strange new worlds. And it was chef's kiss amazing. (laughs) Even though I fell asleep partway through, I just woke up, rewound it and started over Mm -hmm. again. Uh, the other thing I've been watching is um, on YouTube, the Direwolf 20 playthrough for his current season. Direwolf 20, I think we've talked about this as a mod developer, but he, he makes a big old mod pack and then plays um, actual plays on YouTube and posts it showing off all sorts of mods. I've actually seen a shit ton of really cool mods for One Eighteen that I'm like, oh, maybe I want to play One Eighteen. And pack that's out. Minecraft for those who. Play. Yeah, yeah, Minecraft, of course. Um and then you no, know, I I had other things on here, but I'm I'm behind on Obi Wan, I'm behind on Miss Marvel, I'm behind on For All Mankind. Like I lost everything um, for it's the good. for the weekend. Except to
3: look forward to. It. If you're gonna mm-hmm. fall behind, those are good reasons to fall behind. Yeah.
0: Strange New Worlds is just my line in the sand. <laughs> Refuse, will not fall yeah. behind on Strange New Worlds. So anyway, that's me, Chris. What's your one thing? I'm gonna do my everything else first. Yeah, That's okay. good. Feel free. Bagger.
1: So uh, we've been playing Valheim. It's great. I've mined so much copper. Um, Obi Wan was good. I liked it. I didn't think it was the most wonderful Star Wars thing ever, but I really liked the um, Deborah Chow's poetry and and how she designed each episode. Shooting this nice Yep. The uh, especially how it models episodes one through six. The uh, mm-hmm. the, the movies. Um, the boys is entertaining. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's 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 basically what Jerry said but my my one thing is miss marvel is a banger of a tv show oh my god is it so good yes. it is my favorite thing that they've released since loki it's the best thing that they've released is, in my opinion in all of uh, phase 4 like i think it's better than doctor strange in the in the multiverse of madness i i i can't get enough of it i've watched every episode 3 times now nice mm-hmm. The, the cultural thing that's going on there, like they're, they're, they're showing Muslim culture, like in Pakistani culture and, and some of that stuff. Like I have no idea how accurate it is Right. I don't know. Like I haven't done
0: the research. I have not seen a lot of outrage on the internet. So oh, that's probably, good. probably closer, but it, again, no expert It either. is
1: unfortunately like the least watched Disney plus show that they've released, which is
0: dumb. Like, is it, is it least watched by actual metrics or is it like by like, metrics? It, it's, yeah, because that's unfortunate. They, they've talked about the fact that it's least watched, especially among white males. People are missing out. Like, yeah.
3: yeah. I watched I watched
0: her. the first episode. I like when I said I'm behind. I watched first episode. I loved it. Did the, I just haven't gotten the other yeah, ones down the yet. The young
1: actress that is playing Kamala Khan oh is completely God. on point. They've re I'm not going to give spoilers, but they've redone everything around Kamala Khan's yeah. history to make it way more in, in line with her
0: her actual like heritage. I read the first couple. I read the first couple volumes of the original comic kind of happy that they yeah, actually man, the inhuman stuff is gone yeah just gone which was fine yeah. for which, which was fine for 616 <laughs> but because of the inhumans tv show i'm actually really happy that they were just like whoop, hard turn around
2: that's gonna like, go over here uh, without, yeah. without spoiling anything they do a deep dive there's a uh, deep cut i mean deep, i'm deep just gonna i'll cut. just
1: say the word like they because it doesn't matter because it's completely yeah. different they introduced the clandestine which is Like it's a hugely deep. I finally figured I went to the research. It's a hugely deep cut to like Marvel. Like they don't show up very often, but when they do, they do some stuff and they go away. They're not really super cool, but like they pulled that out of nowhere. And since they're not very well developed in the comics, they could do whatever they want with them, which they're doing whatever they want with them. Um, The fight sequences are great. The powers Mm -hmm. that she uses are every episode. She's using her powers, So you don't have to worry about that in some way, shape or form. Um, She's still got the imbigan hand going on now and again, which is really cool. I just, Miss Marvel is amazing. You should just watch it. Like mm-hmm. you will not be disappointed.
3: I, I'm gonna say that the cultural stuff is probably pretty spot on because of the people that they have producing it. They mm-hmm. they have it much like uh, Moon Knight. They brought in people from with 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 cultural ties to Egypt and and that kind of uh, of mythology mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So like they brought in people with Muslim ties and. And stuff like that. They're doing their homework. Yeah, they yeah. did their homework when they. When I'm, they brought I'm their pretty their sure every parents.
1: director so far has been uh, either of that religion or that
3: heritage. Yeah, yeah, I'm fairly confident. So that that's good. Um, and and if, Street Racers, yeah. Forgot about the Street Racers. Um, Sorry about your penis. This is <laughs> <laughs> well done. Exactly. The whole teenage kid <coughs> discovering their powers and dealing with life very much uh ties in with the whole spider-man thing and there's there's a lot of parallels to peter parker and
1: yeah she's not perfect and she makes a lot of her own trouble like and she's still like a she she even like gets what she wants and then has to question that she got what she wanted like it's really it's really a nice art the story beats are excellent so good so good
3: well all right there There,
0: there there's my one thing all right sweet sweet Let's hit some patron shout outs. We'll close out the show. We'll do a little after show.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Let's roll on out with a very big thank you to the old school DM. Sean Merwin. The mad wizard. The mad wizard. Troy Sandlin. Zach Goins. the angry wizard these days. Carlos Martin. Chris Constantine. Cindy Moore. Eric Simon. Mirko Froelich and Andrew Demps. Hey, guys, and thanks to everyone for listening. Can you guys one more thing before yeah. we finish this out? Gaming and BS had their last episode.
1: Yes, Gaming yes. and BS
3: had their last episode. And
1: man, was it a good episode. Was, and ask me anything, they're still around, like their community is still bumping. If you like, if you, if you listen to them for a long time, you can go back and listen to their, their back catalog. They did it for seven years. So yep. I love those two guys. Mm-hmm. I think they're mm-hmm. exceptional podcasters. I think Sean had did, has done a lot for like helping RPG podcasting mm-hmm. like yep. in general, like mm-hmm. helping people get better at this. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's often pushed me with just the fact that he's so good at it to try to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of time and there's nothing bad you can say about brett like brett is just I love those uh, guys he's yeah. an upstanding They're great, great human being a, a friend of mine this show
0: has always had much love for those guys yeah. um i mean we were there in the early days when they first started and you know much like the eternals we'll be here when the, the end heat death
1: of the universe the heat <laughs> death of, of podcasting will be here <laughs> oh man <laughs> all right sorry i just wanted
2: to
3: say no that. no it was I good thank it was you for bringing that up that's it thanks for thanks
2: for listening everybody so please check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And take a listen to some of
2: the other shows in the Mister Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonesome and Obsidian, Panda's Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Botus Experience, and the incredible back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night,
0: and the all-new GM Mastermind. Yeah. I'll be there soon. Oh
3: yeah? Cool. Yeah. Good for you. Prep. Nice.
0: Of, cool course. of course, yes. of course, of <laughs> course. <laughs> All right. All right. Before you drift or hack that rule, stop and leave us some feedback. You can reach us on the old fashioned emails, MMP at misdirectedmark.com. The show and the network is on Twitter at misdirected Mark for as long as Elon Musk doesn't own it. Um, I, I'm gonna do weird pointing here. Um, he's Robert M. Everson. Just nod when I say your name. He's Jim Gerrymander. The Light 101. That's me.
3: And I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Mister Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP Mastering Dungeons and Panda Stocking Games are at Patreon.com/slash MMP and Bonus Experiences at Patreon.com/slash Bonus Experience. Patrons of MMP Mastering Dungeons and Panda Stocking Games get access to the after-show pre-production show notes, the Bamboo Lounge. And other special releases. This has been a Misdirector Mark production. The media
2: arm of Encoded Design. Oh man, I've been waiting for this Mic drop. We out!